0: Welcome to the Journal Hijabi podcast. I'm your host, Sidin. and here we're all about elevating the voices of hijabi women in mainstream media through authentic storytelling. Without further ado, let's begin the episode.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
2: For full important safety information,
0: visit juviderm.com. Welcome to the Journal Hijabi Podcast. I'm your host, Sireen. And here, we're all about elevating the voices of hijabi women in mainstream media through authentic storytelling. I am Sireen. I am located in Texas. I am a graduate student at the University of Texas, and I graduate in a couple of weeks.
1: Congratulations. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. I know it's been super stressful. I know you're also a senior at UC Berkeley and the stress that can come with that with the ongoing war. Yeah. So I feel for you. I actually, like I was just not having it like last week. Like it was just like too much because I'm taking like three classes, which is really considered Uh full time um, in graduate school. And so I would have like three, four assignments due every single week. And so like, I just emailed my professors and I was like contemplating, you know, like about, about Palestine and stuff to really like kind of mention it to them. Like, okay, you know, like there's a war going on in my country and I am Palestinian American. And so I just, whatever, I just sent the email. And then one of them was like, like they, he just replied with one word, but then the other one, yeah. Like I, I wrote a whole paragraph, whatever war, like,
1: and he was just like, certainly, wow okay um is it um on your campus is it like a huge thing because i know on berkeley's campus like it's a huge thing there are protests at least two three times a week and oh yeah yeah i mean mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah they they kind of they know what's going on they're very cognizant of it but it's an interesting climate to say the least
0: Yeah, I've seen actually uh, that video yesterday at Berkeley where I guess there was like some tower in the middle of the university Mm -hmm. and they put down like the ceasefire. I'm like, wow. Like you don't really see that at universities. I would say like my university, like, you know, it's a very, it is very diverse. Like I sometimes kind of joke and call it hijabi university because there's like a lot of hijabis. We do have the uh, students, SJP, Students Justice for Palestine, Uh, organization and there was actually like a huge protest in front of the library and you know there's a lot of people speaking up speaking up about it as far as students Mm. but honestly when it comes to like the faculty and staff there is more kind of contemplation and like um don't really speak up about it they don't and then when it's kind of mentioned they're like um you know like they just i don't know i guess around it pretty much they tipped up around around it and they're kind of more like conservative um <clears throat> so that's kind of like been the issue so you'll kind of have like it's interesting like you kind of have like 50 50 so like you'll have the professor that's like conservative but then you'll have the professor that's like I guess liberal or like open so <clears throat> I sent the email to two of my professors one of them obviously is the conservative one replied with one word I mean I'm like there's literally a war going on like you can't <laughs>
1: you can't dispute that <laughs> you, you can you really can't dispute that
0: yeah, so I was like you know I'm like I just want to let you know like I'm whatever I missed an assignment I might turn it in later just like certainly
1: wow that's Cer- crazy
0: certainly
1: certainly like, is peor- crazy
0: and with the period like just certainly period
1: wow no sign out no <clears throat> hope you're doing what- nothing just certainly zero nothing you're crazy um, it's really sad to see cuz professors have so much power and especially I don't know cuz I'm a political science major so it's really interesting seeing how political science professors are navigating it because it's like so much of what we're studying applies to what's happening in Palestine and you're going to stay silent about it but one of my professors I'm taking an African American studies class and I was actually so happy because she basically turned like the entire like 40 minutes of class into a discussion about it and she was like I can't move on with this class we can't talk about things like resistance we can't talk about things like apartheid without talking about what's happening in Palestine she was a real one for that but most professors really don't speak up about it because there's like a huge doxing culture at Berkeley and so they're they're afraid for that but also at the same time professors unlike TAs and and students they have the protection of being like tenured, so. They should really use their privilege to, like, speak up.
0: That is true. I mean, for the case of, like, my other professor, she was definitely, like, she's replied, you know, instantly with, like, a paragraph of, like, um, you know, like, you don't have to, but, like, I, you know, I empathize with you and what's, what's going on, and, like, I want to know more about, like, what's going on in the history. Like, can you, you know, educate and stuff, like, if I'm comfortable. Um. <clears throat> and I was actually surprised and shocked because, you know, I mean, like you said like these professors are educated and they have kind of like the platform and the audience like in graduate school all of the professors have PhDs so they are doctors and so you know she replied and and I replied kind of like a little bit with the history but then it was weird because so like I let her know you know thank you for the empathy like I really appreciate it I let her know just a teeny about the history because like you know she has to do her own research um But then like she replied with like one sentence of like, I'm very aware of what's going on. it was like i don't know It was like weird. what are these current
1: responses
0: like i don't know what's going like i'm like like, (laughs) where you are it's like you you were my friend for a second and then you're just like pulling back because like i replied and then after i sent that like she never replied and then i followed up with like another link of like kind of going a little bit more it was like a blog post about like the neck bend 1948 like a little bit more of of of, like what i could have ever said you know and when i sent that she and yeah she just sent this sentence of like you know what well, I'm fully aware. i'm I'm fully aware of what's going on, period. I'm like oh okay, well, then why why ask me to explain? So I kind of felt like yeah. violated of like, I don't know, like she wanted to see because I guess she thought that like I was actually in Palestine, but like I have family there that like are affected, but which doesn't matter, period, you know, there's a genocide war going on. Um, but yeah. I don't even know how, no. we, how we got to this, but I was like, it's important to, to, to note this. Without further ado, let's begin the episode. So welcome back to the Journal Hijabi podcast. Today we have an incredible guest, Aisata, right?
1: Aisata. 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 Close though.
0: Aisata, I'm trying. Okay, Aisata, which is the host of the podcast, Disclaimers Aid. Aisata,
1: thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for the conversation today.
0: All right, let's dive in to your podcast, Disclaimers Aid. You have been sharing raw and honest stories since its launch in January 2022. Can you tell us more about the journey of your podcast and what inspired you to start it? And also, a little bit about the name because I was kind of intrigued by the name when 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 I came across it
1: yeah so I think starting disclaimers aside it really started in high school because it was I think it was the year of 2020 when I first discovered podcasts and I immediately fell in love with the format I'm a huge fan of long form form uh, long form content in general and I think something about podcasting really drew me in but at the time I was in high school so I definitely felt like I needed to wait a few years until I got to this age where I was a little more mature to be able to start a podcast. Now, I think having started a podcast, I don't think you have to be a specific age to start a podcast. I think people of all ages bring different things to the podcasting space. So I love coming across podcasts where the hosts are in high school. But I really wanted to start one in high school and it wasn't until my second year of college where I started Disclaimers Aside. Um, so I currently go to UC Berkeley, but I used to go to UC Santa Cruz and I transferred from there. And so it was my first year at UCSC in person because of COVID. My first year was online. And UCSC's campus is very isolated. It's in the forest. It's kind of just isolated from a lot in general. It's a very like quiet and low key and Um, almost isolating campus and so I look back on that year at UCSC really as like my retreat year and it really just gave me the space to I think explore some of my creative side and so it was while I was at UCSC where I was like I want to finally start a podcast I feel like I finally have the time to start a podcast so I feel like I should do it now and really what I wanted to create with disclaimers aside was the space where I didn't I didn't just get to tell my own story but I also got to tell the story of people in my community because I think alhamdulillah like I'm very lucky to have such a rich community that I've learned a lot from like I've learned a lot from family members from friends from mentors and I really wanted to share their stories so that people can kind of learn from them and give light to a lot of the stories that we don't get to see in mainstream media because I think Western media is focused on specific narratives that sell to a wide audience. And so the name disclaimers aside really came from this craving to create a podcasting space where people could tell their raw and real stories without kind of those things that, those disclaimers that shape a narrative in a more palatable way.
0: Wow. I love that. So it's like, really diving deep into the questions that maybe people are afraid to speak up with or think that maybe they don't have that voice to do so and then your podcast kind of provides that platform
1: exactly and I think too like I love to have friends and family members or just random people in my life that I admire on the podcast and sometimes when I reach out to friends wanting to have them on the podcast they're like but I haven't achieved X, Y, and Z, but you don't have to be, you know, the CEO of a company to tell your story on a podcast. I think people can gain things from even just your simple story.
0: Right. I mean, I think every human being has a story, you know, they have a story to tell, they have something to say and everyone's voice deserves to be heard. And I think people can bring different perspectives you know I've I've kind of experienced that too with my podcast like when you kind of first start off you really just uh go with your family members and the people that are closest to you and they're like whoa you know like this is real and like I'm too nervous to do this and like what am what do I even have to provide but it's crazy because when you really just hit record and and sit down with them they actually have a lot to say that's good so that's kind of how like we we really uh start start those dialogues um so in your recent episode my hijab journey um which i want you to kind of share in, in your words uh, for our listeners can you share a bit about that episode and, and why that topic kind of holds significance to you
1: yeah so when i first started disclaimers aside back in 2022 I feel like every podcaster starts by brainstorming a bunch of episode ideas and one of the ones that I really wanted to record was an episode on my hijab story which is something that I've recorded for my YouTube channel before in the past but I really wanted it to be different from that video because in that video was just kind of me telling the story of me putting it on. I'm from Orange County so there were a lot of challenges that came with that and so I just kind of told that story but I really wanted it to be more than just the story of putting the hijab on because I think the, I use the word journey because I think the hijab is a journey. It doesn't, you choose to wear it every single day and it doesn't really just end that first time that you put it on. And so with the recent episode, I'm I'm glad that it took me two years into podcasting to do this episode because at this point I've been wearing hijab for over 10 years. Yeah, I started when I was 12 and I'm twenty I'm 22 at this point, so it's been 10 years of wearing hijab. And I really wanted to reflect on the past 10 years because I feel like I haven't really looked back on those 10 years that much. I've just kind of went day by day. Um, and I really wanted to discuss kind of how my relationship with hijab has evolved. I wanted to talk about some of the realizations that I've had about hijab in recent years because I feel like I've definitely matured in a lot of ways these past few years when it came to hijab. I wanted to talk about the cultural influences on hijab. And really, in that episode, what I really wanted to like discuss, because it's something that I feel like people, I don't see a lot in conversation about the hijab, is how the like personally my struggle with hijab wasn't really coming from a place of I didn't want to wear the hijab. I was fortunate enough to not really struggle with that. And I think putting on hijab in in that sense came easy to me the challenge I think that came with wearing hijab was reconciling with kind of the way the West and the way um, like American culture really saw the hijab and the way that people's perception of me changed when I wore the hijab. Because before I wore the hijab, you know, I'm black. So people just kind of saw me as a black individual. But really when I put the hijab hijab on is when I had to kind of come to terms with my Muslim identity and what that meant. And just push back against, you know, the, the way the West sees the hijab, the way the West sees Muslim women. I'm sure you you know how that feels. It can be very, very difficult. Um, and so I struggled with that for years. And I think I'm kind of finally coming to a place where I've overcome that.
0: Really? Wow. I mean, uh, you know, it takes a lot of strength, like you said, to to overcome that of like, not only fighting for your identity, but also in a sense, like your religion, because the hijab represents the religion and kind of, we tend to be sort of like spokesperson for like the whole hijabi community. And that can be uh, very draining and exhausting, especially when you're the only hijabi in the room, which typically happens in a lot of places, you know, if, if you're not you know that lucky to be surrounded by a lot of hijabis wherever you go and so it's like I kind of talk about it like the hijab sometimes for me and and I guess for different hijabis can be like in survival mode of like sometimes you literally have to fight for the right you know to wear the hijab because it is being discussed in there's hijab bands it's being discussed like in in laws and courts and it's just crazy how it's like thinking of like you know the hijab itself is an identity and there was a, every hijabi was not a hijabi before becoming a hijabi so it's like you had you were your person you were the human you were the identity you were you and in a sense sometimes you did feel like okay like I had to like find myself find my personality speak up but it's like when you wore when I wore that hijab you definitely feel the weight that it carries and I think a lot of that obviously you know yes it's positive it's you're very like in tune with it you appreciate it you advocate for it you love it but then like you realize yeah like the outside influence and especially in the western media like it can take a toll on you when it's literally being discussed in courtrooms like how honestly scary is that that something that you wear is like literally being debated by politicians and not only in the west you know in europe So, um, I mean, we'll we'll touch on that more. I feel like there's just like a lot to say there, but let's kind of talk about your Mauritanian identity. The Mauritanian diaspora is a topic that isn't widely discussed. Can you share more about what it's like being a Mauritanian American and some stories you've shared about this unique identity?
1: Yeah, I definitely, you you really hit the nail on the coffin. The Mauritanian identity is a very underrepresented underrepresented identity, um, especially in the West. Um, I will say part of it is because the population of the country is very small. We just hit 5 million recently, I think last year. Um, but if you look at it on the map, it, it's a huge, huge country. There's a it lot is. of land there. Yes. And it, it really does have such a beautiful and rich culture Um so starting off, where is Mauritania? I always have to tell people it's it's south of Morocco and Western Sahara and north of Senegal. So it's in this kind of unique place because it's in, in between North Africa and West Africa. And within the, the cultures that you see in Mauritania, there's a huge blend of North African and West African culture, even in within Mauritania. Um, and so there are are a couple ethnic tribes of the main ones are more in Filani, and my family is a mix of both. And so I've been very lucky to be able to experience like a blend of two cultures within a country, which I think is very unique and really cool. Um, but even in in America, it is definitely a smaller diaspora. And I didn't really grow up within, you know, a Mauritanian community. I know a lot of For a lot of Muslim communities, there can be little pockets of communities like in America. A lot of the times, I think sometimes immigrant families will just kind of immigrate to these little pockets. And so you grow up in these communities around your people. And I think that has such a beautiful impact on your life. But I think nonetheless, despite not growing up surrounded by a lot of Mauritanians, my mom, I think did her best to really try and integrate Mauritanian culture in us, uh, through the food that we ate, uh, through the clothes that we wore. I definitely as a kid hated when my mom would dress us up in Mauritanian clothes, but she she would dress us up and on a regular day and we would go to school and we didn't look like any of the other kids at school. But looking back, I'm so glad that she did that because she instilled in us that connection to our culture like from a young age that even though we didn't appreciate as kids, I think once you get to college or once you grow up, you kind of, you have this almost like desire to reconnect with your culture. And so you look back on that time and you definitely feel a sense, I I at least feel a sense of gratitude. Um, But I was also fortunate enough to, you know, go back to Mauritania, which I know is a huge privilege. Not everyone gets that opportunity to go back to their homeland um, and just really connect with, you know, my family back home. A lot of my family is still back home. But I definitely, one of the challenges I think that came with not growing up around a huge Mauritanian diaspora is that language barrier that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to is like, when I was younger, I could could speak Hassania and a little bit of Fulani, but I lost my language over the years. And to this day, I can understand it fully, but I can't really speak back fluently. And so I think there are definitely challenges with that in that when you go back home and you have these family members that you have that you share blood with but there's this connection that's almost missing because or you can't attain this certain level of connection because of that language barrier and that's something that I really really grieved when I lost my grandparents a few years ago I lost my maternal grandmother and grandfather and so it was for me. It was really hard because it was not only me grieving with the loss of those grandparents, but also the loss of that connection that I would never be able to form. Um, but I think in general, growing up as you know a Mauritanian American, over the years I've definitely gained a lot of pride for the Mauritanian culture, and it's something that I'm I'm grateful, you know, that my mom from a young age really instilled the cultural aspects in our lives.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to pass on that legacy from your grandparents and the, and the people in your country. And although it can feel kind of heavy because um, you feel like, you know, when our grandparents pass away, it's it's sort of like it's where you learned about that culture and identity so it's like now it's like up to you and your mom to really you know keep it alive and it, it it can be I think it's more so of like a beautiful struggle and it's like showcasing that through our clothes that at one time maybe we didn't want to be like that kid that stood out with like clothes that we thought was weird but today honestly I think is very cool and we hold on to and we we really show out um so uh, I I feel you I think a lot of people um struggle with with those like kind of bicultural identities of being American and Mauritanian or or a different country so thank you for sharing that so um let's talk about uh being a pre-law senior at UC Berkeley, how do you think your storytelling passion, uh, you know, with your podcast and YouTube aligns with your goal of pursuing law?
1: Yeah, I think I've, so I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was in seventh grade. I have the most quintessential pre-law story. every. I feel like every pre-law student knows the stereotype of the kid that does debate and then decides they want to be a lawyer. That was me. (laughs) Um, But in middle school, I was like, I had always really loved reading and writing. And I always had this passion for storytelling. And then in seventh grade, I joined debate and I really loved, I discovered this love of constructing arguments and deconstructing arguments. And I think until I came to college, I really saw those things as very separate. Like I saw my storytelling is something that's creative. And then I saw this pre-law track as something I could pursue as a career that somehow like addressed some of my interests in reading and writing. But I think when it came to college being a political science major, I definitely see how those things are very intertwined and how we perceive like a career in the law as, as a means of advocacy, right? But there's so much advocacy and there's so much power that you can achieve in storytelling. I think a lot of the times we don't realize how some of the change that we need to enact in society doesn't always have to, or it doesn't always have to be done through the law and sometimes can't just be done through the law. And really it is through storytelling, reaching the hearts and minds of people that is through storytelling. Um, But I definitely think that having that aspect of being able to story tell and hear other people's stories is important to be a good lawyer and i see how those things are very intertwined um but really i saw those as two very different sides of myself and two different aspects in my life until i came to college and i really saw how those things intersected
0: absolutely yeah i mean i think it it, it really needs that sense of i guess the social work background or the people background to be able to advocate uh, on behalf or for these people so um I, I definitely agree with that and i'm very excited to see where this journey takes you to to becoming a lawyer so shifting to a broader scope can you discuss the lack of black muslim representation and the importance of
1: reshaping the western perception of the hijab yeah um this is very interesting topic. Um, there's just a lot to be said, but I think, I think I just want to start off with Black Muslims are hugely, hugely under underrepresented, not only in Western media, but also in Muslim spaces. And I think there's like a huge lack of recognition of the history of how Islam has come to Africa. I think there's this misperception that Islam reached Black communities through the 1960s through the civil rights movement the rise of the nation of islam and then people converting to orthodox islam but really there is a huge wider history of islam coming to africa and not just through slavery but through trade actually um have you heard of mustafa briggs by any chance
0: i have not educate me oh my god educate us you have to i'm gonna do my research yeah
1: all the listeners have got to go check out Mustafa Briggs. He is, um, I think he lives in the UK. <clears throat> he lives in the UK. I believe he's Gambian. And he do, He has done a lot of research on how Islam has really come to primarily West Africa is where he does a lot of his research. And I, I actually only learned about him last year because he came to speak at Berkeley. The MSA at Berkeley brought him in to speak about the history of um islam in africa and how it came to africa and he has a really really interesting book called beyond bilal and that book really is just culmination of all of the lectures that he's done you know he's done tours in the uk in the us and all of that so the book is really just a culmination of his lectures but i really enjoyed his his talk at berkeley so i went and bought his book and i'm in the middle of reading it but in that book it's called titled beyond bilal because a lot of the times the only black muslim name that we know is Bilal. That's the only Black Muslim that we talk about when there's a, a wider history of Islam in Africa. And so in his book, he really talks about how Islam came to Africa through trade um, and really just de- deconstructs this narrative that um, Blackness and Islam don't really go in hand, hand in hand and that the only way to become Muslim as a Black Muslim is through converting. Um, so I really, really love that book. And i just think in general we need to reorient reorient history to recognize the history of islam and blackness and and realize that the first muslims to come to this country were black muslims black muslims from west africa that were brought in through african chattel slavery and that, and that built this country um, from the ground up that were forced to convert to christianity unfortunately um, so i think recognizing this historical legacy is, is very important. And I think the West, definitely, Western media plays a huge role in this um, because it's easy to kind of define the Muslim as looking as one type of person to fit <clears throat> to fit their agenda or whatever they're trying to come across in the media. But I think it does lead into Muslim spaces. And I think representation of black Muslims is important in things like MSAs um, and other Muslim spaces. And I think I didn't really, growing up Black and Muslim, for me, I didn't really understand the scope of these challenges until I came to college because from Orange County, there's barely any Black people, there's barely any Muslims. Um, So I didn't realize how this affected the broader Black Muslim community, really until I came to college and I connected with other Black Muslims and I heard their stories and I really found a Black Muslim community in college. Um, but it's definitely something that we have to start off by learning the history first.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and really diving deep into the research, because that's what it takes. And, you know, I'll definitely be uh, researching Mustafa Briggs and linking him in the description so people can kind of watch that UC Berkeley speech and, and learn more about, I think, this is crucial topic in the the Muslim community. If you're a Muslim woman, you're likely familiar with the nail polish debate. A Turkish author from the University of Glasgow has researched this topic extensively, concluding that nail polish can represent a harmonious blend of faith and beauty for many. Embracing this perspective, Mercy Cosmetics, a U.S.-based halal nail polish brand, offers a wide range of vegan halal certified products. They also prioritize social responsibility, pledging to donate 20% of profits to provide water to underprivileged communities. As a special offer for Journal Hijabi listeners, you can enjoy a 15% discount on your entire order by visiting mercycosmetics.com slash journal hijabi or using the code journal hijabi in all caps, no spaces at checkout. That's mercycosmetics.com slash Journal Hijabi mercy dot cosmetics.com slash journal hijabi or using the code journal hijabi at checkout. Join Mercy Cosmetics in celebrating the joy of nail polish without compromising your values. You mentioned struggles uh, with how the West perceives the hijab a lot. How um. has this realization shaped? Your understanding over the years I know you've mentioned that like your struggle I guess about the hijab like it didn't come from that you don't want to wear the hijab but struggling with like how the west perceived that
1: mm-hmm. yeah um really the the way that I realized that was actually leaving the US was going back home to Mauritania, traveling to other Muslim countries, and and just paying attention to how I felt different in spaces where I was surrounded by Muslims. Like I didn't feel that level of that level of almost just paying attention to the way that other people non-Muslims were looking at me or the way that non-Muslims were perceiving me. So when I when I left the US, um, when I traveled back home, or I traveled to Muslim countries, and I just, I felt almost liberated. And I felt like I could truly be myself. That's when it clicked for me in my head that the struggles that I'm having with hijab, it's not really coming from a place of like, I don't want to wear hijab. It's really coming from a lot of the negative ways that the West sees Muslim women and the Muslim identity. And I think too just a lot of the media that I was consuming growing up, like, I don't know if you've seen the Apple TV plus movie Holla hate that movie. I really can't. Um, I think I watched, uh,
0: I watched, I think like the trailer and a clip I'm so over like those mainstream kind of depicting that like, the only way that a hijabi can be empowered is if some white guy like convinces her to take Center. to take take it off. Yeah, I'm like okay.
1: Yeah, I'm so. Over I it I and... couldn't wa-
0: I couldn't watch it because I'm like, I was just already triggered by the trailer, and I'm just like not really gonna feed into it. And, but I do think it's like also important to to really work on like highlighting maybe the shows and the movies that re- represent Islam and hijabis in the correct lens which I'm still kind of like on the research for I don't know if you've heard of the show Rami on Hulu
1: oh my gosh yes I have heard of Rami and I've seen it and I've had so many conversations with my friend uh, friends about Rami Mm
0: -hmm. I need to watch it. I haven't watched I think they have like three seasons now like a new season I haven't watched the most recent season but I think and you know it's always going to be controversial I don't know why anything and the Muslim world it always has to be controversial and we can't agree on one thing but I think I really like I felt I guess close to like what they were trying to portray like in that in that show like I guess it's somewhat like it's like more relatable than what you what you've seen um I guess about like um I'm not. I'm not sure if there's if there was a hijabi in that show. Like last time I watched, it was probably like a year or two years ago. Um, but yeah, yeah, I feel you. It's, it's yeah. definitely um, a struggle.
1: It really is really challenging. So I think just growing up and watching these shows, reading. I read a lot, so reading the same plot over and over again. The Muslim hijabi girl that gets saved by her white boyfriend from her parents. <clears throat> We're just so sick of that narrative and I just didn't feel like that authentically described my experience and a lot of the experiences of Muslim women around me so I, I already knew that that was very disingenuous um, but I think when you when you constantly are hearing and seeing and feeling that narrative and then you're also experiencing like growing up in Orange County around so many non-Muslims I was the only hijabi at my high school There were a few other Muslims, but for the most part I was surrounded by non-Muslims. And for context, I I graduated high school in 2020, so that put me at like in middle school when the war on terror was happening. So a lot of the experiences with, you know, the way that I interacted with non-Muslims, the way that, you know, I experienced microaggressions and blatant racism from my peers, that affects you like no matter how strong your iman is you're still a child also grappling with your identity and when you have peers that you have like at that age you you put so much stock into what people your age think about you and you have so much respect for the people around you when your peers are also see you in that light or speak to you or interact with you in that way that rubs off onto the way that you perceive yourself even if you know that what you were doing and pursuing the hijab and pursuing modesty is the right thing
0: oh absolutely i mean like we kind of uh, mentioned a little bit earlier it's like that struggle of identity in a sense of basically like fighting fighting for your hijab fighting for yourself to be seen in a just light because i think for over a decade uh hijabis muslims you know like we've been portrayed in such an unjust, unfactual, false narrative. And we've been carrying that weight on our backs. And I think as Muslims, like we tend to really just take the high road. Um, But I think recently it's just, it's just not tolerable anymore. Like we're just, it's just, it's zero tolerance. It's not okay. We're like speaking up. I mean, you know, in in current times, in recent times, the the wars and the genocides that are going on in different countries that tend to be of high Muslim populations, uh, those kind of um, discriminations have, have come up more of Islamophobia. And it's kind of like, I guess, those feelings that we've been feeling since 2001 and although i was too young to even i guess live in that moment and see how it really is but i've seen how it really affected um i guess our parents and and the adults around us of a lot of muslim women taking up the hijab in fear of their safety and their life in america and the controversies like imagine that your religion is like controversial i think it's 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 somewhat interesting to even know that the same kind of scenarios and stories occurred in the times of our prophets, and to be able to kind of hear their stories and the same thing that they've struggled struggle with in the mouth of people that were so against the prophets and just mocking and discriminating and then everything to bring them down. And it's like sort of the same kind of thing that's happening to us today. Um, it can, and so, like, yeah, I've been, like, reading up on that to really see, like, how, okay, well, how how was it handled back then? Because I think, you know, history really does repeat itself, and that's, like, what we've been seeing, and it's, unfortunately, like, it's nothing new, but I think what we can do is um, really learn about the history and, and and what to do in those moments. I mean, for me, like, it's... It, I think it's it's been hard like okay like we'll take the high road but sometimes people just they just like provoke you and um you know I'm just gonna share like this authentic moment that that occurred because we're not taking the high road anymore so basically last week you know and this is like in the current events like we all know what's going on in Palestine And so, and I was kind of shocked because like our campus, you know, like I said, it's diverse. It's like everybody's, you know, people of color. So like we're educated, we're cultured, like we know what's going on, but there's also that there's always like that one group or one person, you know, that's just like going to be very anti what you're doing. And so I was just like walking to my car and then, um, I pressed like the button to like across the street and there was like these cars lined up and one of the cars, I guess like they had their window down and this guy, it was like filled with like three, three guys and his, his window was down and he was like first yelling slurs. So he was literally, he Mm. was yelling, yelling the N word first of all to people. I'm like, cause we couldn't see him. I was like, did someone just really say that? And I was like, looking yeah. around. Cause like, it, you, like you, I couldn't see, I was like, where's that coming from? Cause like, he was in the car. You can't really see it. I was like, and everyone was just like so confused, whatever. And then when the car started passing by me, he just, you know, yelled out in front of everyone. He said, bomber. Wow. Um, so I was like, I didn't know. And it, it's crazy when that kind of hits you, like you kind of talk about, okay, kind of like, Hearing those stories of people being discriminated or or whatever, or verbal, just things that you just don't want to hear that are untrue, especially in light of what's going on. Like, actually, how dare you? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't even have the time to even react because first of all, he's a coward because he's hiding in the, like, get out and say it to my face he's gonna be passing by in the car with his window down three guys just having fun saying racial slurs all across campus to basically provoke people and i you know like i had zero time to kind of react or or kind of do like immediately the light turned green and i just like, crossed the street went into my car went home repeated the same thing for a week and like that was that and so it's kind of like those kind of moments and stories to to realize that our experience on the opposite end side. And I think if anything, it's like, you don't always have to take the high road, but also to understand like these things have happened before and they've happened to very prominent people in our religion and the prophets. And it's like, if they were able to get through it and, and I guess have the strength there be supported by god then you know we're, we're able to do that so that's just a little bit um about that i was wondering maybe if you kind of have some stories like that to share
1: yeah thank you for sharing that and I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to experience that i think especially you know what's happening right now in palestine the genocide that's happening i'm sure it, it has to be so exhausting to constantly be explaining to people why Palestinians deserve to be seen as human beings. Why they deserve dignity? It, I'm sure it's it's really really challenging. And I think I, I I love what you brought up about how you know this type of thing has happened in the past, and we can gain wisdom from how the prophets dealt with similar situations or similar experiences. But I love what you said about the fact that it is hard to take the the higher ground in situations like this um, but I definitely have experienced things like this um, as I mentioned like I was in middle school when the war on terror was happening and so I think that really affected a lot of my peerss like especially like my non-muslim peers' perception of Muslim students of Middle Eastern students whatnot and so I had so many incidences I had, a couple incidences where people would throw backpacks at me and they would say Allahu Akbar and then start laughing and run away that was a classic um people would be playing quran and laughing and throwing backpacks at people all the time um I had a situation where I was in math class and a guy was like how can you be a part of a religion of terrorists to me and at the time I was I was in eighth grade so I was like 14 at the time I didn't really I was just shocked like in those moments sometimes you just get overcome with shock and I think too being at a younger age you don't really have the language to like fight back and so it can feel very paralyzing in the moment um when I was in high school someone it was during a fire drill and my friend pulled me and then afterwards she was like yeah a guy tried to take off your hijab which alhamdulillah that's not actually ever happened to me but even just that is terrifying. Um, and then there was another situation in high school where I was in the library and someone airdropped a photo of an ISIS beheading and had Photoshopped it to say, go back to your country terrorist. Um, so very, very aggressive, aggressive Islamophobia, You know, as a result of growing up in Orange County. And it was really hard to grapple with. I think that's really where a lot of my struggles with hijab came from. But I think, alhamdulillah, like at this point in my life, I've definitely overcome that A with time, um, B with realizing that like the world is much bigger than that. And hopefully, inshallah, those people will have learned um, and know better by now. But also, just I think, you know, I think coming, getting to this place where you just kind of let go of what people think sometimes. Sometimes you have to realize that like, you can't change these people's, the way that people, these people see Islam and it's out of your control. And, and there's so much, it's so exhausting, I think, to constantly be having to explain to people why pe- people should see Muslim women or Muslims as human beings that are deserving of respect and dignity. To a point where you just kind of get to a point where you're like, I don't feel like I need to justify to you why I'm not oppressed anymore. Like, if you can't educate yourself at this point, there's nothing I can do, you know?
0: Absolutely. I mean, just even thinking of like, first, how long we've experienced this and having to kind of develop that language at a young age to be able to fight things that we're not supposed to be fighting, but... I think it's it's definitely important to notice that, like, we're never alone, you and I and all of the millions of Muslim women and just Muslims in general, men and women who experienced this and probably went through these scenarios recently because mm-hmm. of the the current times. And I think it's just important to really see. that we're not alone and the sense of unity that we really do have in numbers and I think although there might be that one person it's always just like one person but to recognize it's like that one person versus like a thousand so it's like Mm -hmm. really putting that into perspective and I think like you said in the moment it is hard because you really are shocked and you kind of just don't want to give it attention, but I think today more than ever, it's like, no, I'm going to give it attention. And I've definitely experienced that online actually this morning. It's like very Mm. frustrating, you know, to have to like comment something and then just someone comment back, just immediately trying to silence you. And I just let it go. I was like, okay, I'm not going to give it attention, but it's like, okay, no, I'm not going to continue to allow people to silence me when it comes to topics about my country and my religion and my identity. We don't need to do that anymore. We don't need to take the high road. We don't don't need to be the nice people that are smiling because we're so afraid that we have to represent our whole religion. Yes, we do. But that doesn't mean that you have to put yourself at a lower standard or receive bullying and threats when the opposing side can just, in a sense, get away with it the same saying of like boys will be boys you know it's just very yes. frustrating and i think now more than ever people are just not having it i'm not having it people are not having it there's like zero space for it i'm so glad and proud of the prominent people of uh, of leaders and communities that have spoken up about this that weren't scared to speak about it and i think there's a lot of yeah, as unfortunate as it may seem like there's a lot of people like me and you who have experienced the same discrimination but in a sense I see that like that's really what brings us together our sense of stories sometimes the the stories are experiences that we didn't really want to experience but we do experience and I think in the end that they just make us very strong you know it's like the more people are opposed about me and my views. It's like the stronger that you even want to voice them, and to even think that a comment online or for someone to just call me bomber. Because at this point, it's like, well, you know that that word is kind of old. You've been using it. It really years. is. Y'all been using it for ten years. Come up with another word. Um, I don't know. Come up with another word. Um, at least because it's gotten old. Um, the joke expired. It was never funny, you know, (laughs) um, come up with a different name because bomber is just not cutting it anymore. Um, so yeah, it's really
1: not original. It's really not original. (laughs) It's not, I
0: mean, you know, come up with something, something that's just not working anymore. You know, it's just like not making me feel any type of way. So that's what I have to say about it. Um, I think, you know, that's pretty much all the questions that that I had today. I really want to thank you, Isada, for joining Journal Hijabi and joining me today and sharing your experiences and stories that I think really add value to, to this uh, conversation. And before we kind of wrap up, I want to see if maybe there's something that I didn't ask you about or that you wanted to kind of uh talk about before we close our conversation
1: yeah thank you so much for having me on today i think this was such an amazing conversation i I really love what you said about um how we can find healing in in telling stories and how we can find healing in hearing other people's stories and relating to them i think that that is a sense of hope for the muslim community and so i love today's conversation And yeah, I think that that pretty much covers it. But thank you so much for having me on. If you're looking for
2: plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. For full, important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
1: Thanks for reaching the
0: end of the episode. We hope you learned something new about the women who wear the hijab. You can watch the recorded video of this episode on YouTube at Journal Hijabi. And be sure to follow our Instagram at Journal Hijabi to stay updated on all things hijabi and help
1: spread our stories. Until next time, never forget the power of being a hijabi.